Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. All right, everybody, welcome back for the next installment of the RGS series. This week we have Nick B. Miller making his return, but we also have Ben Jones, the president of RGS. Uh, guys, how you guys are doing this uh, evening? I'm doing well, Nick. Yeah. So, uh, this episode, this installment is going to primarily focus on chapter involvement and, uh, you know, uh, something that Nick and I have been speaking over the past few installments and episodes, Ben, is uh, re really trying to get everybody a better understanding of what this new mod model entails and uh, trying to get, get the point across that just because uh, some of the details have changed and, and you guys are focusing on uh, raising money in a, in a number of different ways outside of what everybody was accustomed in, pa in the past. Uh, there is still a very big need for chapter involvement and chapters raising the money. And so uh, first off, why don't you go ahead and kind of start off with the lay of the land, the state of the union, I guess, with how RGS is doing coming out of COVID and how the chapter landscape is looking right now. Yeah. Well, up front, I'll, I'll say that when you think of ways to define RGS and AWS, we're a member supported organization. So the importance of members and the chapters, none of that has changed. And what we've been looking for is ways to make member support, chapter dollars go further and to do the work we need to do at the scale that our members really understand that needs to be done at. Uh, with, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of work to do out there to keep rough grouse and woodcock on the landscape. So uh, that's what that's what the exercise has been, and um, you know, going into COVID, we're starting some business model changes, and COVID hits. Wasn't much warning on that. I was <laughs> and, about to say, um, y'all had great timing on that one. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because in some ways, COVID, like it was so disruptive that if you're making changes, that. Uh, everything was so disrupted that it, it's almost a, a better time to make some changes when when we needed to, or at least that's the lemonade out of lemons approach that we were taking to it. But the hit was very hard. It was nearly overnight that we were looking at upfront, like right now, a half a million dollar loss in event fundraising revenue, mm. just just like that, and then as COVID drug on and to say that we're out of it now, I, I'm not even sure, but you know, you get into the millions of dollars of fundraising 
event revenue loss. So it was a hit for sure. But we decided early on, and we actually wrote this out and uh, kind of an incident plan was our goal going into COVID was that we were going to come out of it whenever that was, whenever it is, we were going to come out of it stronger than we entered. And when we look at our, just, just from the dollars perspective, we'll just hang out there for now. We're going to talk a lot about habitat and what all that means in a bit. But just from that balance sheet perspective, we're in better shape now than we have been over the past 60 years. So we, we took, there were opportunities in COVID and to come out stronger, we didn't just kind of hide under our desk, you know, with, with our masks on and wait it out. There were opportunities in there. We jumped on them and, and we came out stronger than we entered. So we're in really good shape right now. Now to recap, was the was the loss in the fundraising money, was that 100% on just because of the loss of banquets and in-person uh, fundraisers, or was there other implications that maybe we didn't see besides that? Yeah, it really was. That immediate hit was you're not having any events. And we talk about the business model change and the need for it. RGS for a long time was very event-centric on our revenue side. And I, I mean, COVID showed you the dangers and having all your eggs in one basket and not having a diverse revenue portfolio. So if ever there was a case statement for we needed to diversify how we're pulling funding in, it was COVID. Because yeah, you're exactly right. That hit that we took on the funding was can't have events, can't raise money, boom, you're down a million. Yeah. And Correct me if I'm wrong, this was a discussion or a topic that it was being discussed long before COVID was even a thing, right? It's not like COVID was announced and then all of a sudden your guys like, oh, we're changing the model now because we can't do banquets. It just kind of happened. It was kind of a coincidence uh, in, in terms of the timing. Is that correct? Yeah. And I'll give credit here to the RGS and AWS board of directors. Um, at the point where I interviewed for the position, and these are, these are people on our board of directors who are serving on other boards for the likes of the other conservation organizations. They're successful business people, and they were they weren't seeing the growth in RGS that they were seeing in some of these other groups that they were a part of. And so, at the point where I came in, and this is where we met, it was there was an opportunity for RGS to grow in our habitat impact. I mean, that's always been what we're about. And so I came in pretty much with a mandate then from the board to look at all those business models, diversify our fundraising, and to increase our mission habitat impact. So absolutely, from the time I came on in mid-June of 2018, not only was it a discussion, but it was like, Ben, this is what, this is what you're doing. <laughs> this is why you're here. And so when you guys rolled out that plan, finally, like you said, you, you were talking about it when you were being interviewed for the position, when it finally got announced and rolled out, what we, we kind of know that the reception, it was it was mixed at, at best, I guess that's probably the nicest way to put mm -hmm. it. Uh, what were some of the more prominent 
concerns and also advocates for it. You know, that you have people screaming for it and you have people screaming against it. And so it's kind of mm-hmm. like polarized the base like overnight pretty much. So what what was the both sides to that argument or debate, I guess, I guess I should say. Yeah, well, one of the first part of it was it was a really high stress period for everybody. I mean, we were all going through our own own things, people with their families and kids are out of school and people are, are losing their jobs. So it was a high stress environment all the way around. And um, so change is always hard. Now add 10x on the stress <laughs> factor of it and not understanding exactly uh, what was going on together with the stress of COVID, I, I think that generated uh, some of that uncertainty. And we're going to talk today, I, I think the central focus of this is, is right at the biggest um, issue we had was chapters and members, I think, didn't understand their part. And in hindsight, this is a shortcoming of, of me. And the communications team, the members and chapters felt like they were getting shoved aside in this. And I just hadn't predicted that that, that would be the perception. And I missed that. And so um, that's absolutely not the case. And I, I think that's what we're going to focus on today. And on the positive side, it was people that had been part of RGS for a long time in other groups, seeing other groups expanding their mission impact and saying, hey, uh, I, I, and a lot of it. To their credit, Nick, was people saying, I'm not sure I understand this, but I see you're trying to do something and move it this way, and I'm with you, which was really, that that was really helpful during that time. Well, and and to be fair, like you said, you know, me being a member, me being a person that cared, when it first came out, there was a lot of confusion between between members and and chapter members. Uh, You know, I I had the luxury of having you come on shortly thereafter and explain it in in a little more detail. So if people are curious about, you know, more on that topic, uh, by all means, go go check that out. I'll, I'll reference that episode here in the show notes. Uh, but what you're what you're pointing out, Ben, it's like change is just hard anyway. Then you start putting in people that had relationships over years. Then you add in the confusion. It was kind of like a good recipe for a lot of a, a lot of angst. And like you said, then you add in the the social landscape of COVID and everybody getting shut down. Uh, like you said at the start of this, COVID may have helped you in a lot of ways, but just the stress of that time probably hurts you even more. So I'd be willing to bet. And you couldn't just get with people and talk. You know, how, how many things have you have you worked out by, well, let me meet you for supper or I'm coming to your event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a full 18 months where there was zero of that opportunity. So it made it that much harder. Yeah. So thank goodness for people like you who are putting the podcasts out and giving us that communication channel to, to be able to speak. At least, at least keep open the line of communication somehow. And and ultimately that's where it was. And, and fast forward a couple years, it's crazy that this was two years ago, pretty much now. Uh, But fast forward two years ago or two years. And now we have Nick B. Miller on the line who kind of came out of this new model system and the new position. How have these uh, regional forester positions worked out for you guys and just pretend like Nick's not listening. You can critique him all you want here. Hey, all right, now Nick, <laughs> Nick's, a, Nick's a great case in point. We had never had anyone assigned to doing this work in the Southern Appalachian region. And um, 
I, I think we covered this the first time I spoke with you, Nick, that this is a region that is incredibly important to me and that I connected with living with rough grouse for five years and living in Western North Carolina and East Tennessee during that time. And it's really important to me. And I understand how important rough grouse and grouse hunting and the dogs and all that is to everyone in the region. It's important to me too, but I had spent time there. And so it was a first order of business. We need to serve this region and get this work done that is more dire here in the Southern Apps than it is anywhere else in the country, man. This is, this is it. And so to have Nick now and someone of his caliber with his strategic mindset and his knowledge of forest management and ability to work with the Forest Service, is that is a huge, huge two or three steps forward for RGS and what we do. And that same thing is... Um, it's being repeated across the other regions as well. We just, we've got 60 years worth of research that tells us what rough grouse and forest wildlife need. And in my experience in, in the forest wildlife field is we've got the research, we know what to do. It's a heck of a challenge now to get that work done to manage our forests. And that's what that 60 years of research tells us, manage the forest. And People like Nick have that understanding of forest management and um, that knowledge and that training, that experience to be able to get over those hurdles or around those hurdles or through those hurdles. <laughs> As Nick will tell you, sometimes you're bouncing off them, you're getting your butt kicked, you're having to go into them again, you go over them, you go around. But that skill set has been really key in us making progress. And to the numbers, again, on the dollar side, and when I first started, I heard a quote, and it's so true, no margin, no mission. So the dollars figure shows you where we've come. And mid-2021, about this time last year, I said, man, we are really pulling in a lot of new funding to be able to do this work through grants and our stewardship contracts what is that number right now? Because it really seems to be climbing. So I ran the numbers with our accounting staff back to 2015. And annually from 2015 back to 2020, each year we had pulled in about $450,000 worth of grant-related direct on-the-ground mission funding. So about $450,000. At the end of the second quarter in 2021 alone, we were at 4.3 million. All right. So that really speaks to the scale that we were stepping the programs up. Yeah, that's that's a huge jump from 400,000 to 4 million. So like you said, in terms of dollars, it, that's easily weighed. You know, you can see the success that had a very quick impact for you guys. So monetarily, it seems to have accomplished exactly what you wanted. Uh but let's get into the chapter involvement. How has the chapters reacted to this over time? Like we said, at first, it may not have been the most appreciated change, but change is always hard. Did you kind of mm -hmm. see it flatten out and have the chapters kind of rebounded? Or have you kind of seen uh, the, the concern kind of linger around in all these chapters? Yeah. So the dollar is in is the first step. But I told Nick this when he came in. 
we're not going to have full support until, and this is kind of funny, this wasn't literal, like I didn't want an OSHA issue here, but said, Nick, we're not really going to change hearts and minds until you can ride on the top of a triaxle load of logs coming off the national forest. We need to make the habitat and just talking about the dollars won't be enough. And so now we're to the point where those contracts are going through, the timber starting to get cut, the habitat is being made, and we can take groups there. And I think you were on a recent trip, Nick, with some of the chapter members, and there might be even interest in new chapters based on what we're showing on the ground. So yeah, I think it's coming around. All right. Nick. Yeah, I'll just jump, I'll jump in there too and just say like, I mean, I think that's all great, Ben. And, you know, when it comes to some of the regional business development that we've done here in the Southern Appalachians, um, you know, not to toot our own horn, but in the first, I think, year and a half of our program rollout, we brought in just, just for our region um, over $2 million in, in grants and agreements. Um, and Nick, you and I kind of think talked about that on one of the other episodes where we talked about the the ways that we've been funding some of our program work here in the Southern Appalachians. Um, and so we've, we've done a lot of kind of project business development as a first step of that kind of program rollout. Um, and we have been able to create some young and open forest habitat as a result of that as well. Um, I think one of the issues that we've seen that now we're making steps to address, and I know Nick, you and I have talked about this kind of in full, is that while we might be creating a lot of habitat and have a lot of great stuff to show for the work we've been doing over the past couple of years, we haven't been doing as good of a job as showing that and getting that in front of some of our members and the public. And so the opportunity for more engagement, more communication is really on the forefront of our minds. And it's part of the reason that we're bringing on this engagement coordinator for the Appalachian region to better tell that story, to better engage, uh, engage chapters and members, and to better get the word out about the habitat work that we are doing. Yeah. And you, you and I have kind of spoken at, at length a few times on that because it's, you know, one of the main concerns when I got to meet you in person at one of the, the job sites that Ben was just referring to was the base isn't even aware that some of these cuts are going on. You know, it's like y'all are out there, y'all are raising the money, y'all are doing what y'all are promoting on, on the new model. As Ben just talked about, the money is up, the dollar's in, uh, but the chapter involvement and engagement isn't there because they haven't been communicated. So are you guys pretty much like, are y'all addressing that now or are y'all just kind of, I know you just said that y'all are trying to bring on an engagement coordinator. Is that pretty much going to be their main focus or are y'all already taking steps to try and curb that a little bit? Yeah. And if you think about this from a business side, Nick, so we were still down in operational funding. Yeah. We had pulled in 4.3 million and direct on the ground funding to do the work, but operationally we were still hurting from not being able to have events. Okay. And so I was at this decision point where we also had restructured and the name of these new positions is engagement coordinator. They were formerly called just the regional directors. And they would essentially assist the chapters with fundraising events. The engagement coordinators, the fundraising events are still absolutely important and they're going to do that. But that title says that part of their job, a really important part of their job out front is to make sure they're communicating and telling our chapters what's going on. 
So in this mix, when you're kind of limited on operational funding, we made this decision, like, let's start getting the work done, get these projects in play, you know, get the logs coming off on triaxles loads. Let's get that work done. And then operationally, we should be able to fund the engagement coordinator to come on and start telling the story. But first and foremost, let's start getting this work done. So now we're at that point where we're hiring an engagement coordinator, going to be able to take people out to these sites, um, some of the show me stuff and communicate better with the chapters, what we've been doing. We couldn't do both things at the same time due to operational funding constraints. Yeah. And, you know, that Nick and I have kind of talked about that before to where when you're a forester, you know, you want to concentrate on the actual forestry practices. You don't want to have to stop and, and have to do the social media stuff and and communications and newsletters and all that. So with, with all that being said, you're bringing on engagement coordinators that's supposed to take up that piece and run with it. Uh, is there any discussions in branching further out than just going back to the old traditional banquet models? Are there other events? Are there other tasks that you guys are focusing on to try and diversify that engagement, so to speak? Uh, I, man, I, I hope so. Because what, what when I was coming in before COVID, I was hearing from our chapter members, there was like banquet burnout and people were ready to quit because yeah. there, there was too much focus on that. And so here's, you know, our marketing communications director, Ashley Peters, has done such a wonderful job in training me on some of this stuff. Engagement is a two-way street. So when the engagement coordinator comes on, talk with the chapters. What do they want to do? Do they want to do a banquet or do they want to do some other kind of event? We've got chapters uh, here in my home state of Pennsylvania. They're doing a lot of um, dog training events. They pack the place every time they do one, organized hunts. So let's get with the chapters and members and see what kind of events they want to do. And to be honest, Nick, uh, some still want to do the banquet dinner style stuff. They've been really successful. They net good funds. There's good fellowship and camaraderie. So sure. Let, let's keep doing those. But if you want to try some other things, let's do that too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us will sit here and say they hate banquets. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're going to go have dinner with like-minded people. You're going to see some cool art. You're going to see some cool raffles. You'll learn some stuff. Like it's by all means, it's not like a bad event or it's boring, right. but I think the, the point of contention from, from the people that were concerned about it is like there were chapters that that's all they did every year. They right. just threw one banquet. They didn't have anything going out. They didn't show any of the cuts or projects or, or really teaching them anything. It was just, Hey, come, come put a bid on a, on a big picture. Right. And, uh, we all love the pictures, but you know, there's only so much wall space that we have. That is one definite change that we've made clear to the engagement coordinators that the mission piece and the habitat work being done, whether you're having banquets just like you used to, one thing that is absolutely necessary is the work being done needs to be woven into the fabric of that event. When that person leaves, there will be no doubt when they leave that the Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society is doing a lot of work on the ground. Yeah. So weave that into that event just flood the airwaves with that the entire night, you know, and when you're eating your chicken dinner or whatever. So uh, I'm curious, you just said that your local chapter does these dog training days. 
Wait, what's what's a dog training day for an RGS event kind of look like? Kind of walk me through it. Is it just they take turns planting birds like a nab to training day, or like is it a fun shoot? Like what is it? Just to kind of give the chapters uh, an idea outside of just a banquet. Yeah, Nick, I think you'll you'll appreciate this one. Um, one of the the newer events. It's been it's called the uh, Future Hunters and Handlers Day, and some of our members led this, and it was essentially how many people got dogs during COVID? I've got this new bird dog. I want to get in. How do I get started? And so they'll have stations set up and there'll be some dog handling stuff. Uh, there'll also be uh, how to look at habitat, how to use a program like Onyx. And we're, we're partners with Onyx to scout cover remotely. Then when you get there, what are you looking for? The Future Hunters and Handlers event from just last month, they had a state agency forester did one of the stations. So they went out and looked at habitat and what goes into putting a timber sale and how they do that planning. So that one's really exciting to me because it's it's a little bit of everything from how to handle your dog to talking with the forester about how habitat gets made. Yeah, that's a little bit more than just dog training. That's a little bit of hunter <laughs> training as well. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's a great idea. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, you and I have talked about years ago when we first met at the Kentucky banquet. I don't know if you even remember that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we discussed sure do. doing like a, a, a fun hunt type of, you know, just change up the banquet, you know, just fresh as new, you know, try it out. Uh Nick, I'm I'm curious about when you kind of moved down here and started your position. What was it like kind of incorporating yourself within the chapters? Do you hear some of these ideas and enthusiasm when you're dealing with the individual chapters? Yeah, I mean, I guess since obviously kind of to the point that Ben mentioned earlier on, um, you know, I started out in this new position about two and a half years ago. So it's not really new anymore, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, but I started out right when COVID was really heating up. And so our ability to travel and meet with chapters and do events and just get to know people was, was pretty limited kind of starting out. Um, and so, you know, since then, obviously I've built some really good relationships with some of our key kind of chapter leads in the region. Um, I get the sense from talking to folks that everybody is very excited about having this engagement coordinator position hired and someone who is more dedicated to kind of working with them on events and fundraising. Um, I do think that folks are open and interested in kind of alternative models and some of these new ideas about how we can bring the chapters together and raise money to do stuff. Um, So I think folks are really, really open for it, Nick. And I think that when we do get this engagement coordinator hired, um, you know, we have not done a good enough job over the years, frankly, at engaging and really investing in some of the chapters and membership down here. But I think the opportunities are really, really ripe. Um, Nick, you'll remember when we were out at uh, North Cumberland WMA in Tennessee, we were with a bunch of those folks, a bunch of those members from Knoxville. And, uh, you know, those guys were young, they were excited, they were passionate. Um, they're ready to get stuff going in Knoxville and to really, I think, you know, be a, a new chapter face for us kind of in Tennessee. And, and I'm just so excited to be able to finally have someone uh, that can work more directly with some of those chapters to start new ones and also kind of re-engage and reinvigorate um, some of our existing chapters too. Yeah. And you, you took it exactly where I was going next. Uh, just that 
that one day, that one Saturday that we went up on North Cumberland, we saw the project that, that, that cost nothing. It was, it was like just a couple text messages and emails through the chapter. And all of a sudden we're out there actually seeing trees on the ground and we got to be educated from you on silver culture and some shelter wood activity and, and what the cuts were actually uh, supposed to do, why they were prescribed a certain way, something like that. It was free for the chapter to do. It was quick. It was fun. We got to meet people, you know, that I haven't met in person just through online. And so it's like everybody talks about these events. You don't have to have this giant dog training event. It's nice. You don't have to have a giant banquet. You don't have to have any of that. It's like just meet up and go for a walk in the woods and see what, you know, see what's going on in your local area. That's yep. it. And Nick Adair, I'll never forget meeting you in Kentucky because I was early on and that Kentucky chapter is a good example of some, some people who passionate people, no more passion in the world that had just been busting their butts, but they had banquet fatigue and they're just like, help. And so here come this group of young people with this enthusiasm. And I, I can, picture it like it was yesterday when you walked up to me and it was people like you and many others like you that really motivated me. Like there, there's this crowd out there that's looking for something new. There's energy and enthusiasm and we need to harness it. Yeah. It was one of those things, you know, I, that was when I was barely kind of starting out dipping my toes into trying to figure out conservation and RGS and stuff like that. And you and I had spoken, I even tried, you know, tested the waters with getting a chapter going on in, in middle Tennessee. It just didn't work out because it was like, as soon as we got out here, the first thing and only thing that was brought up was a banquet. And, and, uh, you know, I told you directly, like, that's why I couldn't keep any interest. We had the interest, uh, but that's kind of indicative of why the model had to change a little bit and it had to become more sustainable. Uh, like you said, it's, it's paying off. It looks like it's working as you anticipated, at least in the dollar wise, it's just getting that communication out there and getting that engagement and getting people on the same page with it all. For sure. And those chapter dollars are still more important than ever. And our hope is that when, when people are engaged and they're excited and there's energy and then realizing what your dollars raised are going toward and how they're maximized and they're leveraged three, four, five, ten 10 to one for every dollar that you raise, that the local chapters will be more vested and more excited in doing the fundraising events. And that, that was something I didn't foresee, as I mentioned, that the chapters thought that the money they raised was no longer important because we were going after these bigger dollars. Nothing could be further from the truth because <clears throat> if you look at a stewardship contract, for example, with the Forest Service, there's a match requirement for that. We've got to bring some cash to the table. And it may be a $100,000 project and there's timber revenue we can reinvest in all that. We still got to find ten, twenty thousand dollars worth of cash to bring to that agreement as required by the Forest Service. And so, what it is now, instead of the ten thousand dollars that you raised through the chapter going to a project, it's four hundred dollars something an acre. You're going to do twenty some acres. Now you're leveraging that for hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand, where we're talking about hundreds of acres being done. But to say it again. Those chapter raised dollars are more important than ever. We're just able to match them uh, X to one. 
Yeah. Yep. And I feel like, you know, Nick, you and I discussed this a bit on, I think probably the last episode we had, but I think just to ground that an example. Um, so we, we've currently sold two of our stewardship um, agreements here in the Southern Appalachians. Uh, we have two others that we're working to get the sales executed. And then we have about two or three others actually that are currently in development. So kind of our goals over the first five years of the program build out is to have active stewardship agreements going on with all seven of the national forest units that are in the Southern Appalachians. Um, and we're already on our way to kind of meeting that goal um, as we've been rolling this thing out. And so one example in Kentucky is we have the uh, Peters Branch Stewardship Project on the London Ranger District of so the Daniel Boone. That project, um, in terms of the appraised timber value um, that the Forest Service completed, is about $550,000. I think we sold it for $580,000 um, through that stewardship agreement with the Forest Service. Just the harvesting alone is going to create young and open forest habitat conditions across about 570 acres. And all of that $580,000 raised is going to go towards helping pay for foresters to do the inspections, to pay for crop tree release, forest stand improvement work, tree planting, um, wildlife opening maintenance, you name it, all those great forestry and wildlife treatments that are non-commercial that some of that forest product revenue is helping pay for. And to Ben's point, that project needed 20% matching contribution for us to be able to enter into that agreement with the Forest Service. And so the more that we can have chapters helping raise funds and contributing funds towards projects, the more we can really scale these programs and use that funding to be the turnkey, that, that key that unlocks even more funding for us to really get that landscape restoration scale that we know the grouse and other forest wildlife need. That, that makes a lot of sense. So quick question on that. When you guys do need to start off with a match and get funding uh, to start it, is that being funded by the the local chapter, so to speak? So, like, did that money come from the Kentucky chapters or did that come from, like, all the chapters in RGS? That's the conversation that we're having now with the chapters. There will be multiple chapters that kick into a state drummer fund. And so we'll come to those chapters with, okay, here's, here's the set of projects. Here are the things that we could do. What, uh, which one of these do you, do you all want to invest those funds in? And so that's part of that, again, that two-way street of engagement of talking with the chapters and saying, well, here are the possibilities. Where would you all like to apply some of these funds? So in, in other words, so like the Kentucky chapter, they have their state drummer fund. That that money's staying within their local area. It's not going up to like a, a Pennsylvania cut or something. Cause I do know that that is some people's concerns that their money isn't going to something within their own area. Absolutely. Those funds, those drummer funds and the chapter reserve funds are all staying local and the funds that they're, that they're sending to national are helping pay for Nick to be on the ground, doing the coordination, making this stuff happen. So I used to hear that a lot, like, oh, you know, this much of the funding from this local event, a portion of it's staying here local, but a portion of it goes to, to the national organization. Well, that's how we're paying for Nick, and that's how we're paying for the engagement coordinator that's going to 
uh, communicate with the chapters. Well, what are, what are we missing on the chapter involvement? I think we've kind of covered it from all the angles that I, I can think of, but it sounds to me like it's, it's pretty basic to where, yes, you you the new model is a way to multiply the funds and everything, but you still have to have the funds coming from the chapter to start with. Uh, is that kind of an oversimplification to everything we've kind of discussed this whole episode, or is that pretty much spot on? It, it's not real complex. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> we um, maybe maybe I'd like to you know, talk about the complexity of some real crazy business model we struck up, but it really is that simple. That, that money coming in and being able to leverage it, uh, like I said, three, four, ten to one is that's how it works. That, I just want to mention something about chapters and members that for me is very personal. That's what motivates me. When, when you get with chapters and you get with people and they've got setters laying about, like I've got on the floor here right now, or their GSPs or whatever dogs they have, and they just have this hunger for it. Man, that's fuel. Every time I get to go to hang out with chapters and talk with them about a project and a place where they've wanted to see a project done for many years and others need, and we're able to do that, Man, that's that's incredibly fulfilling to spend your time with people that have a passion like you have. Well, that's one thing that I don't think anybody can uh, accuse bird hunters and dog people of, and that's being uh, low on passion. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everything that's uh, polarizing, or you know, it, this person thinks that, this person thinks this other thing, uh, they can still meet up and go hunt in the woods behind their dogs, and you know, it's it's their passion that brings them to the same table. They may end up on different sides of the table. Uh, but ultimately they're there for the same reason. And I think, uh, a lot of us need to try and remember that a little bit better, uh, sometimes, but guys, I wanted to thank you for coming on, talking about chapter involvement. This will kind of wrap up the the fifth chapter and we have one more to go, uh, which is going to be on silviculture. And so, uh, everybody be on the lookout for that episode. Ben, Nick, thanks for joining me as always. And, uh, we'll see you back here, uh, in about three or four weeks. Thanks so much, Nick. Really appreciate what you do. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. 
I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.